0: All right, we're going to start in John 10 tonight, John chapter number 10. Now, Monday night service, we're going to look at the death of God. And tomorrow night, we're going to look at the humanity of Christ. We'll consider two truths that we've heard all our lives, but look at them in a little bit different fashion. Every sermon that I ever heard in my life on Jesus dying on the cross was a sermon about God manifest in the flesh, the man, Christ Jesus dying on the cross. I'd never heard, I'd never heard a sermon on God who was manifest in the flesh dying on the cross. So tonight we're going to talk about the the death Listen, on my transfiguration, the Bible says that Jesus, this in Luke 9, Jesus spake with Moses and Elias, Elijah, of the death that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. I've heard, I've heard hundreds of sermons on on uh, would, would, would lead you to believe that death defeated Jesus and three days later he won round two. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. He On that cross, he said, it is finished. Yeah. He didn't say, oh no. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. It was finished on the cross. Resurrection just confirmed it. And then tomorrow night, Lord willing, uh, as, as independent Baptists with sound doctrine, we, we work so hard to make sure that we get those Jehovah's Witnesses and liberals and modernists straightened out and convince them Jesus is God that we almost miss all together that God became man. And we'll t- take a look at His humanity tomorrow night. And there's some things that, that you and I have gained because God became man. And, and we'll, we'll consider that tomorrow night. John chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says this, Therefore, doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. Got that? No man taketh it from me. The Jews didn't kill Christ. The Romans didn't kill Christ. Crucifixion didn't kill Christ. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, keep those thoughts in your mind and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll read one more verse, then we'll pray together. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. He said, I have power to lay it down. He he said, I got power to die. And I've got power to rise from the dead. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse number 8. There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. You know what you just read in the Bible? No man has the power to refuse death when death knocks on his door. You can't say, get away from my house, I'm not ready to go. Death comes for you. You're going with death. And in like manner, you don't have power to end your life in time you want to if God objects to your plans. So where you get that? Have you not read in Revelation that in those terrible days of great tribulation, men will seek death and will not be able to find it? Now, if Ecclesiastes eight, 8 says, No man, man, Sons sons of Adam. No man has power in the day of death. And Jesus said, I have power. I can lay down my life if I want to. And I can take my life up again if I want to. No man has power superior to the power of death. But Jesus did. That tells me, number one, he's more than a man. And number two, he must not have died as men die. Maybe, just maybe, he went to that cross not to suffer defeat, but to win a victory. We'll consider that tonight. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Please, Lord, to see the truth from your word, to believe it, to, to receive it into our hearts. And Father, most of all, to leave here tonight with a greater appreciation for your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, than we had when we came in. We pray these things in His precious name. Amen. I'm going to give you tonight seven proofs that Jesus was not killed, but that Jesus died willingly and victoriously, not as a man succumbing to death, but as God in the flesh conquering death for you and for me. Look in your Bible in John 18 and Matthew 26. John chapter 18 and Matthew chapter number 26. I'm going to turn a lot of pages tonight. I want you to turn with me and look. Make sure that what I'm saying is so. Make sure what we're teaching matches what's written in this Bible. John chapter 18, verse number 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Now stop for a minute. They're sitting in an upper room. Judas is going to go out and betray Jesus Christ into his enemies who are planning to put him to death. Jesus says to Judas, what thou doest do quickly. Judas went out into the night to sell Jesus to his enemies so they could kill him. And when Jesus finished in that upper room and went out of that upper room, you know where he went? He went to the very place where he knew Judas would know he would be praying. He didn't go to a secret hideout. He didn't run away. He didn't get in a ship and try to sail to uh, North America and start Mormonism. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he always went. And he knelt there like he always knelt. And he prayed like he always prayed. Looks to me like he's not trying to avoid death. Now, there'd been times when they tried to kill him and he slipped out some other way. There'd been times when they tried to put him to death and he, and he walked through the midst so they couldn't do it. And, and every time he'd say, it's not the hour, it's not the hour, it's not the hour. But he said to Judas, he said, the hour's come. The hour's come. And he went to the very place where he knew they could find him. I believe, I believe, contrary to every one of us who do our best to make sure death doesn't find us, I believe Jesus went looking for death. I believe He intended to take on your last enemy there at Mount Calvary. Now keep reading. The Bible says in verse number 3, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek ye? They answered Him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said to them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I don't want to read into the text, but it doesn't say after verse 6, they got up. He says, I am he. They all fall backward to the ground. And then it says, and he said, who are you looking for? You looking for me? You, who, who are you looking for? Now, let me ask you something. Of those, where well, they got up or didn't get up. Of those soldiers laying flat on the ground with their weapons in their hand, of those soldiers knocked to the earth by the very power of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you, which of them bound his hands? Which of them led him away? Which of them arrested him if he did not want to go to Pilate's judgment hall? Who in that crowd took him against his will? If he did not want to stand that mock trial, who among that bunch hold him down there? I'm telling you, he did not have to be arrested. He did not have to be beaten. He did not have to be spit upon. He did not have to have that crown of thorns on his head. None of those men and all those men combined could not have laid a finger on him if he hadn't let him get up off the ground. Not only was his death an act of his will the very opportunity to put him to death was an act of his will. He had to allow those men to get up to even arrest him in the first place. And they led him away, the Bible said, to Pilate's judgment hall. I I, I bet they did that a little bit uh, gingerly. I believe they had to blindfold him because who who could hit him with him, uh, with the Lord looking him in the eye? Once they got that blindfold on him, then they, they began to wail away at him. This is God manifesting the flesh. Boom, down they went to the ground. Now, look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 26. Peter, you know, is going to help him out. you got to admire Peter's zeal. God his willingness to speak up. Beyond that, the poor guy. It, listen, if anybody was ever glad for the indwelling Holy Spirit, it had to be Peter. Because was up until then. He, he never did quite get it right. The Bible says in verse 52, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou, now look, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be? Here's what Jesus said. Peter's going to take his sword and fight. He's Peter. You think I need you? You think I need your sword? Right now, if I ask my father, he would send not an angel, not 12 angels, not a legion of angels, 12 legions of angels. And they'd come and fight for me. Now, let's do some mathematics. Back in uh, Old Testament times, there was a king named Sennacherib. He sent a host in to destroy Israel. Old King Hezekiah, he went in, he took that threatening letter, he spread it before the Lord and he prayed and asked God to help. God, help, please, come help. There's an enemy army out there. And the Bible said that God sent an angel, one angel. Before breakfast, that angel by himself killed 185,000 soldiers. Okay, now just put that right over there, 185,000 a legion, at least in the Roman legion, was 6,000 men. 6,000. If Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels, that's 72,000 angels. Let's suppose one's as strong as another. Let's suppose one can fight as well as another. If one angel killed 185,000 men, 12 legions of angels could kill 13 billion 320 million men. The equivalent of what your government spends every five minutes. That's, listen, that's more people than have lived on this earth from Adam to this present day. You know what Jesus said? Right now, if I wanted to. I could call the host of heaven. We could raise everybody from the dead who's lived since the Garden of Eden and kill them. I could fast forward and bring everybody on the earth to live from this day to the year 2011 and I could kill all of them and we'd still, we'd still have energy left to kill some more if we needed to. Now you tell me who put Jesus to death. He could have by himself laid them all out. He's God. He put breath in their nostrils. He could have taken that breath back from every one of them. He could have called the host of heaven down to fight for him. Listen, he went to that show trial because he wanted to. He walked up Mount Calvary because He wanted to. He laid down on that old rugged cross because He wanted to. He took those nails in His hands and in His feet because He wanted to. He wasn't born to live. He was born to die. He didn't come into this world to live. He is life. He came to this world to lay down His life and die for your sins and for mine. Don't you know Mary must have got a shudder and not known where it came from when she took that little baby? And it doesn't say she put a little, a little uh, baseball uniform on him. And it doesn't say she put a little uh, set of pampers on him. It said she wrapped him. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. You know, according to John 11, you read about Lazarus and his uh, visit to the grave. According to the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus Christ, wrapping is what you do to a corpse. That baby came into this world to die. He had life, you didn't. He came to give up his life so you could could have it. So men didn't kill him, men didn't kill him. Roman soldiers are not responsible for Jesus' death. Jewish temple guards were not responsible for Jesus' death. He could have gotten out of it at any time. Any time. Look at Matthew 27. While we're here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. The Bible says, you know this verse, but you need think, we need to think about in these terms. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, Yielded up the ghost. Now you've heard the sermons, you've seen the movies. Men who are crucified—it's a cruel, horrible death. You know that. You've been told that. You are suspended. The weight of your uh, body cavity is forcing itself down upon your uh, your loins, upon your legs, and your strength is giving out. And 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 the the weight of your body is crushing down upon your lungs, and you you. Force yourself upward to to draw a breath, and then you sink back down again, and the shoulders they say begin to separate it's just a terrible, horrible anguish and you have you've, you've heard that explained and and you've seen that in the in the movies and the motion pictures, but here's a man that doesn't go it is finished as a man would struggle to speak if he were suffocating. If every muscle in his body were shot and all of his nerves were spent and and he was just about to expire from the effects of crucifixion, he'd say, what was that? But the Bible says, Jesus cried with a loud voice, It is finished! You don't cry with a loud voice if you are being overcome by the torture of crucifixion. You cry with a loud voice if you have stood there upright, almighty, triumphant, the strong man entering the house and, and spoiling the one that had taken possession thereof. That soldier stood at the foot of that cross. He said, I've never seen anything like this. That centurion, he'd watched a lot of men die. He'd seen a lot of men suffer the effects of that crucifixion. Here's one who came there with his back beaten like a plowed field. Here's one who came there with his face torn and beaten and beard ripped out and and that, that crown driven into his brow until Isaiah 52 says you couldn't recognize him as a human being. And yet there he was upright. There he was breathing normally. There he was as strong as he could be. Drawing a breath, letting the breath out, drawing a breath, letting the breath out, conversing with thieves on either side, and then crying with a loud voice. He's not suffocating. Crucifixion isn't taking him down. He's bringing death to its knees. He's looking at your last enemy and He's saying when I'm through with you, nobody will fear you again. When I'm through with you, they will will laugh at the thought of walking through the valley and feeling your, your shadow fall upon them as they absent their bodies to be present with the Lord. I'm here to whip you! You don't cry with a loud voice at the end of a crucifixion if crucifixion is your master. But if you are mastering death itself, you will shout for triumph, and that's what Jesus did. Praise the Lord. Look in John chapter 19. John chapter number 19. John 19. I try to memorize Scripture. I do memorize it. And then it just goes somewhere... It goes in, it stays there a little while, then it comes back out. Uh, there's many verses I know, and but to find the address, I just drive around drive around this neighborhood for a couple hours trying to find which house it, it belongs at. It's in there somewhere. It's somewhere in John. I think it's in the New Testament. That, come on, isn't that awful? Listen, in the morning when you've had a good night's sleep, on Sunday when you've been in church all day, the verses of scripture that you have learned you have a hard time quoting them just right the ones you quote just right you have a hard time remembering where they're found in the Bible and those you can quote and and find the Bible they're really not much compared to all the ones you can't quote and all the ones you haven't even read yet all the ones you've read but have no idea what to do with them come on I'm, I'm just being fair saved, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, in good health, with a Bible you can read, a Bible you can listen to, with people preaching the Bible to you, and it's hard to remember but a dozen or so verses. Isn't that right? Now, look at the Bible says in John 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now let's take that as it's written. He did, it doesn't say he was thirsty and he said, I thirst. It doesn't say he was so famished that he's begging for some help and some assistance. Now that's how I've heard it preached all my life. The poor Jesus in all his agony, and I'm not denying he was in I'm not denying he was suffering. I'm not denying there was pain. But the Bible doesn't say that he said, "I thirst," because he wanted water. He said, "I thirst," because the scripture needed to be fulfilled. Look. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith, I thirst. Hey, He's on that cross. He came in this world to fulfill God's Word. He came to this world to do always those things that please the Father. And as He's hanging upon that cross, look at this, His mind, He is searching through the Scriptures. Let's see, Genesis chapter number 3, I'll bruise the serpent's head, about to do that. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to be the shepherd who dies at the hands of His brethren and, and never never object, never say a word about it. Uh, Gen- uh, Genesis chapter number 6, I'm going to be the ark of safety. And, and He's going through all All the prophecies and all the scriptures, got that one, got that one, got that one, fulfilled that, did that, got that. Oh, oh, there's one right there. The scripture prophesied that he would thirst and that all things might be fulfilled. The one last scripture he had not yet completed out of all those 39 books of the Old Testament, one said he would thirst and so he says, I thirst." I thirst. Now let me ask you something. That See that thief over here? All he's thinking about is how every muscle in his body hurts like it's never hurt before. You see this thief over here? All he's thinking about is how long is this going to last? Is God going to work some kind of miracle? Is there any way out of this thing? I've never hurt so bad in all my life. But the man in the middle, he's having Bible study. His thoughts are not impaired. His mind is not distracted. He's not dwelling on his pain. He's not wrapped up in his suffering. His, he is completely and entirely alive. On your best day. Right now, a room full of preachers. If I said, where's that quotation from? You'd look hope it's in your margin. Isn't that right? And we're King James only. We're not that liberal crowd doesn't use it. We know this book. You don't know it as well after a good meal in an air-conditioned church service as Jesus knew it being crucified. He's not being overcome by death. He's overcoming death. He's on that cross not to lose but to win. When you die, it's a defeat. When he died, it was an accomplishment. That's what he came to do. Keep reading. It says, And now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head <laughs> and gave up the ghost. He bowed his head And gave up the ghost. Have you ever seen a painting of Jesus on the cross? You ever been in a church where they've got a statue of Jesus on the cross? Some of you used to have things you wore around your neck of Jesus on the cross. Every movie you've ever seen. That's what happens. When the muscles in your shoulders... Are completely gone that 's what happens when the muscles in your neck cannot respond any longer that 's what happens when your back has completely given way. Your body is collapsing on itself, death is crushing you into the ground, and your head hangs limply and helplessly upon your uh, upon your bosom and and you 're just about to suffocate, but the Bible says. The Bible says, just as Jesus died, that he bowed his head. You know what that means? That means that the whole time he's been on that cross, his head is upright. That means his shoulder muscles are still holding the worlds in their places. That means his neck muscles are still upholding all things by the word of his power. That means his back strong. Come on, think about it. For you to have to bow your head, it means your head is upright. It means your head is held high. It means you are looking death right in the face and saying, is that all you got? Is that all you got? You got to do better than that. I'm going to whip you. He's not dying. Because he has to. He's dying because he wants to. He's not dying because he can't stay alive. He's dying because you can't stay alive. If he bowed his head, you know what that means? All these muscles here, all these muscles here, all these, if he's bowing the head, you know what that means? That means he's in control of that head. He could hold it up. He could lay it down. He could look over here and say, you better get right. He could look over here and say, see in paradise. That's not a man dying of crucifixion. He is triumphing over death for you and for me. The head held high, the bowing of the head is proof positive crucifixion didn't do him in. That's an amazing thing. Look in Luke chapter 23 and Acts 7. Luke 23. Luke 23 and Acts chapter 7. We'll read the Acts passage first. I'll show you the best a man can do in the day of his death. The best a man can do in the day of his death is hope. Pray. Luke 23. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Acts 7. Acts 7 verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I preached some of those sermons. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet. whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, watch, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The best you can do in the day of your death is ask the Lord to receive your spirit as it departs. You cannot retain that spirit, Ecclesiastes 8, and you cannot dismiss that spirit, Ecclesiastes 8. You have no power at all, and with your dying breath, you can say, Lord, receive my spirit. You can ask, you can't demand. You can pray, you can't give orders. Fair enough. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Jesus Christ on that cross. He's God. He's manifest in the body of flesh, but He's God. And he says to his spirit, you may leave now. He said to his spirit, I am dismissing you. You may return to the Father for 72 hours. He, by his power, he, by his might, showed that unlike anyone since Adam, he had power over the Spirit in the day of death. He could retain it. He could dismiss it. See, how do, you know, how do you know he could retain it? It didn't leave till he said so. How do you know he could dismiss it? Because the minute he said go, it went. Death is standing there. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And the Lord said, no, you're not. Watch this. And before death could lay hold on him, he dismissed his spirit. That's an amazing thing. Now, are you saved tonight? That wasn't a trick question. I don't want to commit till I know where he's going. Come on. Are, you, are you saved tonight? Yeah. You know what the Bible says? You have been given the life, the eternal, everlasting life that is Jesus Christ. Whom to know is life eternal. Do you know him? I give unto them eternal life. They should never perish. Is that right? Amen. Now, the Lord's given you two things. He, he, he gave you two things He wanted you to do. And He didn't want you to do these things because they would impart grace to you. He didn't want you to do these things because they would make you more spiritual. He wants you to do these two things so you could understand your future based on your past. I'll show you the first one. He wants you... To get in this water. And a man will show you. A picture of death. And burial. And resurrection. And unless that pastor really got it in for you. Or he's a rookie. (laughs) It doesn't hurt a bit. How many of you have been baptized? It might have been cold. It might have been A little scary, but it didn't hurt. Why do you think the Lord wanted you to picture death and burial and resurrection when you're already, Romans 6, in Christ, dead and buried and risen again? Because you're facing death and death keeps trying to tell you it's going to hurt you. And death keeps trying to tell you that it's something to be feared. And the Lord says, do you not remember what I had you to do as soon as you met me? I tried to show you. Death has lost its sting. Then he says, I want you, as oft as you will, I want you to eat this bread and drink this cup. And whenever you do, you show the Lord, not not only the Lord's death, but your communion with him and with one another in that death. Now, honestly, does it hurt to eat a piece of bread? Does it hurt to drink a little cup of... I'm not saying because I don't want to argue with you about it tonight. Does that hurt? Why did he give you two illustrations to practice to perform both having to do with death neither of them inflicting any pain at all because he's trying to tell you something i defeated your last enemy fear not him that can destroy the body and after can do nothing o death where is thy sting o grave where is thy victory Jesus took it away. Amen. Thanks be to God, giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said? Here's this, here's this terrible valley. In all our lives, the devil, his t- Hebrews 2.9, all our lives, the devil said, you better do what I say or I'm going to make you go through that valley. Whew, okay, I'll sin. You better do what I say. I'm going to make you go through that valley. Okay, I won't stand up for Jesus. But That Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ took away his ability to scare you. To scare you. With that valley, because, because what he did is he turned it from the valley of death to the valley of the shadow of death. that what he said? He had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if you, tomorrow at noon, high noon, you came to Florida, where all the muggers are and the carjackers are and the, and the killers are and everything else, you came down there. I mean, they're crazy, man. They kill somebody, they kill somebody around the clock down there. And somebody came up to you, they got a knife in their hand, and they walk up, and they raise that knife, and they get so close that their shadow falls upon you. And then they freeze right there in their tracks. You say, whew, that's a close call. But that's all it was, was a close call. The Bible says, if you're saved, if you're saved, Your good shepherd will escort you into the valley of the shadow of death and death may come so close to you as to cast its shadow upon you but your good shepherd will say that's it. You come that far but no farther. You can't touch him. You can't touch her. He's mine. She's mine. You stop right there. Yeah, I'm going to leave this body but I'm not going to die. I've got everlasting life. I'm going to move out of this mobile home and into a permanent dwelling place. (laughs) And it might hurt. Listen, the last days of my earthly life might be painful, but my death will not. It'll be my deliverance. It'll be my freedom. It'll be a redeemed man enjoying the redemption of his body. Why? Because Jesus went to that cross and whipped that Last enemy. Praise the Lord. He had the power to do it. And he exercised that power. And got it done. Look at John 19. John chapter 19. John 19. I know he's a man. I know he suffered as a man. I I know the Bible speaks of his passion. One time on the cross. But it also speaks about Jesus Christ. God. Manifest in the flesh, accomplishing death. That's what we're looking at tonight. John 19, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because of the preparation, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. Now, they didn't mind crucifying an innocent man, but they didn't want to mess up a holiday. That's a strange business, isn't it? They, hire, they, they pay a man to betray his best friend. They'll hire false witnesses, but they won't step into a Gentile building where the mock trial's going on that they arranged, because that would ruin their holiday. People are weird, aren't they? Jews, therefore, because with preparation the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was the high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first, and the other was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Now they they, they got to get these these uh, men. They got to get these men dead because in two hours the Easter egg hunt starts, and and they don't want to they don't want to be late. You know anything interfering with that? So so they're in a big rush. But just want to see if you're listening. On this side of Jesus is a malefactor. That's a a big fancy word. Okay, a a career criminal. He spent his whole life in and out of jails. Not air-conditioned jails with weight rooms and TVs and showers. 2,000 years ago jails. No plumbing, no AC, no fans, no clean clothes. No decent food, no bug spray. He's, he has spent much of his life rotting in jails. The time he hasn't been in jails, he's been running with the baser elements of society. They don't eat the best food. They don't keep the best hours. They don't observe the best hygiene. They they don't don't have the best uh, social habits. You understand know what I'm saying? That that fella hanging to Jesus right. He probably some skinny scrawny wormy low down good for nothing street rat. He can be saved. But the Roman the Romans deemed him unfit to live. And you know the kind of stuff they did. On the other side, here's another man. His prison record's so long they just decided go ahead and execute him. He's good for nothing. I don't know what kind of drugs they had in those days, but it's likely one of the two did a lot of them. I don't know what kind of intoxicating beverages they had in those days, but it's quite likely one of the two was heavily involved. I'm telling you, those two men, those two men, were far from being specimens of humanity. And yet, when they came to the first one. <laughs> He's still hanging in there. They had to break his legs so he could suffocate and die. They walked past Jesus like they didn't want to fool with him. And they came to that other fella hanging there, that jailbird, that street rat. And he's, he's... He's hanging in there. They had to break his legs so he could die. Then they come to the, to the Middle Cross. Do, try, try something, just for a minute. Forget all those movies you've seen about Jesus. You know, the 70s pot smoking hippie with the long hair and the big blue eyes glazed over it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, man. And blessed are the poor in spirit, man, for theirs is the kingdom of God, man. So forget all that. You know, hey, you know why you wear glasses? Sin entered the world. You know why your step is slow? Sin entered the world. You know why your face has wrinkles? Sin entered the world. You know why you got slings and casts and, 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 uh, and sin into the world? Come on, that's right. Sin entered the world and it starts eating away at our bodies as soon as we get here. You know who's hanging on that middle cross? A body without sin it has no spot, it has no blemish, it has no defect, it has no weakness, it has no frailty, it has no decay, it has no corruption, it has no deterioration. That is the strongest, most beautiful human body that has been on this earth since God made Adam. He's not some frail, drug-infested... hippie of a Hollywood movie that's the, that's, that's the man you know what he did with that body Till he was 30 years old he was a carpenter he did not get in his pickup and drive to Home Depot and load up lumber he did not plug in his power saw and plane that wood you know what he did? He took his arms into the forest and he cut down trees. And he carried those trees back. And with his arms, he sawed and played that lumber. And with his arms, he carried those boards and put them in his pla- in a place. And with his arms, he took a plain old hammer, not a ba- 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 leveling, not a nail gun, a hammer, and pounded those nails. Let me tell you something. You worked like that for thirty years in a body without sin. There's never been anything like it. When those soldiers pulled that seamless garment off over his head and they saw a man like they'd never seen before. I'm not I'm not trying to be cheap. I'm trying to get you to think about something. Money changers. No offense. Jewish money changers in the temple. Why didn't they gang up on him when he made that whip and run him out? They couldn't. Don't you know they'd like to? The Bible says He overthrew, not turned over, overthrew the tables of the money changers. They took up stones to stone Him. It doesn't say He became invisible. It said He passing through the midst... Here's a bunch of men with rocks in their hands. They hate a man enough to kill him and not a one of them dares throw a rock. I want you to picture this thing again and you're, forget the paintings you've seen. That man on that middle cross, that is a body without sin, without spot, without blemish. If that guy's not dead over there and that guy's not dead over there, how come the one in the middle's dead already? Because he wants to be. There's no other explanation. He laid down his life. If you gotta break this guy's legs, he could handle it. And you gotta break this guy's legs, he could handle it. How come the one, the man, the sinless man, the spotless man, the unblemished man, how come he's dead already? Because he chose to die so that you might live. Death did not defeat Jesus Christ, he defeated death. Look over here in Matthew 27. One more stop. Matthew Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Verse 51, and behold, well, let's start at 50, get the context. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, he up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temples ran in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, when the holy city appeared unto many. I want you to consider the supernatural phenomenon at the time of his death. We were preaching outside the Daytona International Speedway the day uh, Dale Earnhardt turned right on a track with only left turns and stepped out into eternity. On the day when the Intimidator died, the earth did not shake, the rocks did not rend, and nobody rose from the dead. On that fateful day at Graceland when the king fell off his throne. Some of you get that, some of you won't. When Elvis stepped out into eternity, the earth may have shaken, but only for a few feet in the immediate area, not, not for any, any great distance. The rocks did not rend. No temple veils were torn from top to bottom. When Michael Jackson, when he died or she died or whatever. When Michael stepped out into eternity, people might have wept. People might have been upset. But the earth didn't revolt. Supernatural phenomena didn't, and I guarantee nobody rose from the dead. I can't prove this. Supposing, and it sure seems like it, the Lord dismisses His Spirit, says it is finished, bows His head, gives up the ghost, and as His soul departs from that body, look at that temple. Look at that veil, rent from the top to the bottom. You know why that veil was there? To remind you, you could not come into the presence of God. You can now. You can now. The Lord entered that earth. That earth began to shake. As Christ entered the lower parts of the earth to bear away sins into the wilderness of hell, to seize the keys of death and hell, the graves of many saints opened. Why? They now have access. They now have life. They've waited. They've waited, they've waited. And one day, Lazarus gets a nudge in Abraham's bosom. Time to wake up. What, What are we going home? Not yet. We've got three days to get dressed, and then we're leaving. That must have been not... Did you read it? Did you read what we read? It said when he entered the earth, the, the saints arose... And when he when he resurrected, they came out of their graves. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, glad to meet you. When would you get here? Oh, 112 years ago. How about you? About 140 years ago. By my watch. My watch is right. What are we doing? I don't know, but must be getting close to resurrection time. And out came the Lord and out they came. Listen, Moses Moses dies in Revelation there. This, This doesn't happen. King David died. This didn't happen. Abraham, the father of the faithful, died. This didn't happen. Muhammad died. This didn't happen. 300 popes have died. This didn't happen. Thousands of Baptist preachers die. This doesn't happen. Presidents die. Kings die. But when Jesus Christ gave up the ghost, the earth shook, the rocks rent, the temple veil was torn, the graves were open. That wasn't a man being overcome by death. That was somebody bursting the hold that death had had upon the human race for 4,000 years. Turn them loose! Turn them loose! Turn them loose! Turn them loose! Death had to give in. It had finally met its master. Praise God. Now there's some bad jobs in this world. I've had some of them. But can you imagine your first day on the job guarding men who are hanging on crosses? I I don't care how you were raised. That's going to bother you and and your job is to stand there with a spear in your hand make sure their family doesn't come and offer them any help or any assistance here's a mother watching her son die and, and she wants to come and, and and offer him some help and say so get away get back you know you wouldn't do that job long you'd either you'd either quit you'd go crazy or you'd make your heart as hard as granite that's the only way you could survive it That centurion went to work every day, watched them put people on those crosses, listened to them scream, watched the families weep and cry, stood there unblinking, stood there uncaring. That's the only way you get through it. But they brought a man out there one day. That centurion kept looking. He kept listening. He didn't hear any cussing. He didn't hear any complaining. He didn't hear any crying. He didn't hear any deals being made with God. And then he watched. He'd look up there. It had been, it'd been a half hour. He wasn't even breathing hard. It had been an hour. He wasn't straining. He just kept watching that thing. He'd never seen anything like it in his life. And then, not long after that whole scene began, everything went dark. He'd never been on a job in the middle of a crucifixion and had the sun refuse to shine. He stood there in that darkness watching. I don't know how they did this, but they're going to come try to get him. And nobody came to try and get him. They're going to run me over in a minute now. They're going to come and knock me down trying to get him off that. Off the, and nobody came. Nobody came. He didn't try to make an escape. He didn't try to get away. Why? He wants to be there. It's His Father's will. It's your only hope. And He cries, it is finished. Gives up the ghost. And the lights come back on. And that centurion, the Bible says, in Matthew 27, verse 54, Now in the centurion, and they that were with Him, it's not just one, it's a whole bunch of them, watching Jesus. That's what they were doing saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus worked miracles, and they said, We don't believe you're the Son of God. He spoke like never a man spake, and they said, We don't believe you're the Son of God. He did the Father's will, they said, We don't believe you're the Son of God. He fed multitudes. He healed lepers. He cleansed, uh, uh, restored those, those crippled bodies, raised the dead to life, and they fought with Him, fought with Him. We don't believe you're the Son of God. He goes to that cross, and He lays down His life, and He offers Himself a voluntary sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And the first words we hear after He dies, truly, This was the Son of God. His life did not convince them. His miracles did not convince them. His words did not convince them. His death, His death was the proof that He was God manifest in the flesh. And the Lord told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And He wrote this down. He said, the gospel, here's where we start. Don't go out and preach His miracles. Don't go out and preach His Sermon on the Mount. Don't go out and preach He was a great man. Don't go out and tell them Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Start there because that's what will convince them. Nobody ever died. Nobody ever died victorious until Jesus. And now, and now, every hour... Of every day all over this world. Men and women die victorious. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's talking about in that verse? Death. He's talking about death. So I hope, I hope next time. You see a picture of Jesus on the cross. You'll remember. It wasn't all like that. Hope next time you see a movie of some poor fellow who can't hardly pick up a cross and can't hardly walk up a hill because he's so weak. I hope you'll remember that's Almighty God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. A piece of wood's no problem for Him. Climbing a hill's no problem for Him. Crucifixion's no problem for Him. Death itself is no problem for Him. He's God Almighty. And he conquered death. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world.